So welcome to the We Localize podcast, where we discuss the latest and popular topics relating to global content, translation, and the application of AI and machine learning that drive multilingual communication. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Schlee, one of We Localize's AI experts, and somebody who I really enjoy talking to because he has the rare ability to explain complex concepts and simplify them using really good real-life applications and stories. So Aaron, welcome. Thanks, Louise. Happy to be here. Today, we're talking about unlocking large language model performance, so LLMs, unlocking LLM performance. And this continues to the discussions of LLMs in content creation and how we train LLMs to give us what we want. So Aaron, for the sake of the listeners, could you explain a little bit about why I've called you an AI expert and some of the work that you do with global brands and relocalize? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I come from really about 15 years worth of experience building AI data sets. We come originally from the localization industry, but when people who are building models are seeking data, especially multilingual data, localization providers have been a really traditional way of getting that data. So I come from a long history from, you know, dating myself a little bit of developing data sets. Um, nowadays with We Localize, my focus is primarily on solution strategy mm-hmm. and how we actually work with client organizations, clients, data science teams, data engineering teams to deliver data sets that are going to be fit for purpose. Again, whether that is for improving the performance of LLMs or building LLMs or for really any kinds of different kind of different kind of ML data sets. In addition to the data sets, you know, I spend quite a bit of time talking with our localization clients on the ways that this technology can be deployed to support yeah. efficiency and improve yeah. quality in the world of content. It's helping business leaders understand and realize the potential of AI whilst not necessarily knowing what's going under the bonnet. You know, that's so important for people to use AI, but it, it's about what can AI do for me and my organization, isn't it? Exactly. Yep. It's understanding what is this technology, where can it be applied, and how can we best tune it in to our specific use cases to improve the way the businesses are performing. As a refresher, can you remind listeners what an LLM is and their relevance in global business? So LLMs are they're language models that are built using really massive data sets. So if you think of almost the entirety of the internet, all of that data is used to pre-train a model in an unsupervised fashion. So it's pattern matching. The machine trains itself to figure out how to make connections. And when we think about the connections, we often use the word deep learning for this. And deep learning, really, the easiest way to think about that is thinking about like a neurological infrastructure, the way our brains work, right? Okay. So we have neurons, and when we're ne- when one neuron fires, when it finishes firing, it triggers the action of the next neuron in the series. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how these LLMs work. So one of them fires, there's an input, we ask a question, it fires, and then successive layers of neurons get fired in order to predict what's the next word in the sequence, Right. So sometimes we think of simple LLMs as essentially like a completion machine, something that is helping us figure out what's the next step in the way in determining how to respond to a question. But one of the challenges with LLMs 
is that they are frozen in time. Now, what does that mean? It means that the LLM only is aware of the data that it was provided at the moment that it was pre-trained. So that's a particular challenge that we have related to LLMs. It already has data provided. So given that the fact that, that there's probably limitations of the pre-trained LLMs, how can you or how can we improve their performance and, and make them fit for purpose? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways that we think about that. One of them is, well, the two things are thinking about enhancing the knowledge of the LLM. And the other thing is thinking about improving the behavior of the LLM. Okay. When we think about knowledge, like I said before, they're sort of fixed in time, right? They don't know what's happening right now. They don't know who won the Super Bowl, to give it a very American example. They don't know who won the American football Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago because the model was trained on data from 2023, right? One way is to enhance the knowledge, whether that is about current events, particular domain of expertise, a language that's pretty relevant to our industry. Really, in terms of specific implementations, a brand, a company's identity. So that's knowledge. The other piece here is thinking about behavior. So the LLMs, you know, they fire their neurons, they predict the next word in the sequence, but they don't necessarily communicate in a style that we love. So another way that we enhance LLMs is by teaching them how do we expect the LLM to respond to us in terms of style, in terms of the structure of responses. Do we want just a quick response or do we want a friendly full response with an example? And then the last piece around behavior is thinking about safety. So when we say safety in the world of LLMs, what we're talking about is avoiding behaviors that humans deem to be negative or dangerous. So for example, people may try to get an LLM to you know, give instructions on how to make a chemical weapon. Well, we don't want that. We don't want LLMs behaving that way. So that's another way that we can modify the behavior of LLMs. We can teach it to not provide that kind of information. How does all this play out in reality when working with the model? You work with clients with LLMs and, and training the models on a day-to-day basis. What's the reality of, of this when you're working with the models themselves? It depends a lot on access. You know, we know that LLMs, because they are so massive, they require a really incredible amount of computing power to build. Only the largest companies in the world really have the resources or at least are willing to allocate the resources towards the computing power that you need to build one of these models. And as a result, There's a small number of companies or organizations that have direct access to the models, and then a lot of organizations and users just don't have access. So let's think about it in those two terms, access to model or not access to model. And maybe we could start with the world where you don't have access to the model. Okay, so would that be like a like a smaller company, Aaron? Exactly, yeah. That's anything from a small company to individual users out there. And when you don't have access to the model, there's a variety of different techniques that you can deploy to improve the results. And maybe we can start from the simplest of those and move to the more complex. So if we think about simple, let's imagine really just the most basic thing, and we would call it zero shot prompting, right? So zero shot, a shot is an example. In this case, we're going to say, we're not going to give any examples. We're just going to give a prompt. We're going to tell the LLM what we want. 
Typically with an LLM, there's two different parts to a prompt. One of them is the system prompt and the other is the user prompt. In the system prompt, we're explaining to the LLM what role do we want it to take? What are the basic rules of engagement that we want it to consider when we actually ask it our question? So that's the system prompt. The other piece is the user prompt, and that is our specific request. What exactly do we want the LLM to do? Within this world of you know, just sending in a prompt, we want to think about there's a couple of different chunks here. One piece is really the clarity of what we're requesting. When we give a prompt, the more detail that we include in our prompt, the more likely we're going to be to get a relevant answer. Good example is, and I'm sure a lot of us have done this already, right? We say, hey, summarize these meeting notes for me. I hear lots of people asking that question. Okay, great. You might get a decent summary, but you will probably get a much better summary if you say something like, summarize these meeting notes in a single paragraph and give me bullet points for all of the key points listing the speakers for each point. So the more specific we can be, the more likely the LLM is going to be to give us an answer that we like or that is useful to us. Like a human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not a bad way to think about it, right? Like, or think yeah. about it. I think about it the way that I communicate with my children, right? As they're learning, if you tell your children, go clean your room, they'll clean it. But if you say clean your room and make sure that the clothes are put away, <laughs> that is made, it's more likely to happen. <laughs> Another thing that you can do is ask the model to adopt a persona. I might say, hey, in the system prompt, I could say, I want you to reply to any question that I ask and include a playful, funny comment in there. Okay, so we're telling the model that we expect it to have a particular style and we want to see that in the response. So that then when we ask the question, not only will it answer the question, but it will imbue that answer with that particular funny, playful style, right? Another way that you could do this is you could just say, hey, edit this or summarize this paragraph so that it would be understandable for a 10-year-old. It's a pretty common kind of request. Mm -hmm. And it's not just saying summarize this, you're indirectly telling it to summarize it in a simple fashion, but by telling it to adopt a particular frame of mind or a particular persona, in this case, a 10-year-old. And then the last piece here in terms of the specificity of the content would be thinking about the size of the output. So it's a very useful technique to just say specifically, how many words, how many sentences do you want the LLM to produce? How many paragraphs do you want it to produce? Mm -hmm. When you limit the size of the output, you're sort of constraining the model in a way that it's going to more like it's going to be more likely to give you the result that you want. One piece of this, as I said, is the specificity of the information. Another one is context. The way that we can think about improving context for the LLM, um, one of the ways is by offering a reference text. Rather than just saying, hey, what's the answer to this question? You might provide the LLM with a document right? Let's say it's a two or three pages worth of content. Mm -hmm. And you can say, okay, look in this document mm -hmm. and tell me the answer to my question by referencing what's here, what I'm providing you. Okay. Again, this is improving the contextualization of your question, and it's going to improve the likelihood of you getting a response that you like. Okay. Another way that you can improve con context is by sort of starting the answer for the LLL. Right. And again, I really like your way of thinking about this, like teaching a, a child, right? Um, yeah. Or other human beings, like you kind of lead people towards the answer you want. So, you know, an example I like is you know, in our industry, we do a lot of translation. 
So you might say, hey, translate this sentence. I would like to see a movie next Tuesday, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to translate that into Spanish. So I could start in my prompt by saying, in Spanish, me gustaría ver dot, 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 mm -hmm. right? And again, you're sort of, you're priming the answer by starting it, you know, starting it off with what you want it to say. And then one more thing that we can think about around the prompting techniques when where there's nothing else that's in play is really just some really specific phrases that researchers have found to be very effective. And this may seem kind of like a no-brainer, but it is important to keep in mind that you can use phrases like you must or your task is or you will be penalized. So these are things that exist in human language that the LLMs do, I'll say understand, even though I don't want to sort of anthropomorphize them, but there is the, these ways of speaking or of prompting do produce better results. A couple of my favorites, and I think actually these might have been mentioned in a previous podcast uh, with Michaela Grace, our fantastic head of yeah. engineering, uh, is the idea that you could say, I'm going to tip as in give money, I'm going to tip $50,000 for a better solution, right? These sort of things that would motivate a human being mm -hmm. also motivate the LLM to do the, yeah. to give the right answer. Or my favorite is the idea of take a deep breath. We often, you know, find this in our own lives. If we take a deep breath, we can come up with a more concrete, more focused answer that works with LLMs miraculously. It's great that you referenced the podcast with McKenna and Brennan with do LLMs have, have feelings because they don't. But there is some element, you know, combined with everything else that you've just said about context, you know, phrases in prompts and, and saying this, this answer really means a lot to me. Or here's some money if you give me the right answer. You know, <laughs> yeah. these are all great techniques, Aaron. It's kind of getting what we want out of LLMs, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and there's a few more ways that we can think about this. So let's let's enhance the complexity here, right? So we, we've begun with just the basics of what you say. Okay. Let's get the complex. Next, yeah, the next <laughs> layer would be really now giving it examples. Or remember the word I used before was shots, right? So yeah. single shot, single example, or few okay. shots, few examples. In this case, really easy one to understand is translation. You could say, please translate this sentence into French. But then you could provide three examples of English and French translated the way that you want the translation to flow. This is a great way to get, again, the LLM to perform in a way that you want by providing it these examples. Context. Yeah, exactly. It's another type of context, right? Sometimes we provide context by explaining it. Sometimes we provide the context by giving examples that it can follow. Another way of doing this is, or another way of providing more a more complex kind of prompt is by something that we call chain of thought. So essentially, you know, what we do is we tell the model to break down a process and think step by step. And literally we say, let's think step by step. And by asking the LLM to slow down and think in multiple steps, it can, it has been shown in different academic articles to produce more accurate results, better results, because it is thinking in a way that is aligned with really how humans think about things by breaking them down into smaller pieces. Okay. And then one more way that we can really now again, sort of 
enhance the ability of the LLM to produce a response that we want is through retrieval augmented generation. You'll often hear this called RAG, R-A-G. And this is really quite common nowadays. The idea here is to say, hey, I realize that the LLM has limits in terms of what knowledge it can reference. Remember before we were talking about knowledge and behavior? So let's say that I am a company and, you know, we I know that the LLM has not consumed my company's brand guidelines, right? Okay. They weren't part of the internet when it was consumed. So what I can do is we can convert documents into essentially a mathematical form, into ve vector indexes. And by converting our documents into mathematical formulations, we can now feed those in and allow them to be references that can then be concatenated with the rest of our query, the rest of our prompt, so that the LLM can benefit not only from how it processes information, but also from this additional augmented set of information that we're providing. This is a really powerful way of enhancing the reliability or as often we talk about decreasing the level of hallucination or incorrect, you know, very, very confident, incorrect answers that we get from the LLMs. You've mentioned hallucinations. That's the first time I know that hallucinations and RAG, they're, they're really big topics that are, uh, that are being discussed at the moment in terms of LLMs and data and, and everything like that. So I'm really glad you touched on those, Aaron. They really go hand in hand and we see two different ways that we can use RAG to enhance our the results or decrease hallucination. One of them is really at the model owner scale. So if we think about you know, a company like Google, for example, you know, when you're using BARD or their LLM tools, they are using RAG technology in the background sure. to look and actually reference reality, right? Google has an amazing source of truth through its search engines. And so that can happen on the back end. And we may not even realize that the model is using RAG techniques in order to enhance knowledge. But there are also opportunities for smaller organizations to use API tools. So for example, OpenAI has an ability to use APIs in order to embed reference documents when you're using ChatGPT. So there's a couple of different ways that we can do that. Everything you just talked about is, is if we don't have access to the model, but these are a, a really great prompt engineering strategies that can help people get what we want out of LLMs, you know, get the best possible outcome that we want. What if you do have access to the model? It's a different conversation, isn't it, Aaron? That's right. Yep. And this is where now we're actually now modifying the models themselves. And this is another part of the We Localize business of helping companies to develop data sets that do this. There's a couple of really common ways that we try to really modify the way that the model itself performs. One of them is through supervised fine tuning. In supervised fine tuning, we essentially provide the simplest way to think about it is that we provide sets of prompts and responses that model the way that we want the LLM to perform. And within those examples that we provide, we'll be setting things like the right style, the right tone. We will help it to understand how to handle complex prompts by giving examples of how we human beings would handle those. We provide these sets of data and then we apply them to the models to basically add additional layers. So do you remember before we talked about 
deep learning so, and these layers of neurons. Yeah. So what we're doing with this supervised fine tuning data is we're either modifying the way that those neurons are firing, or we're adding layers in between the neurons or at the end of the chain of neurons. But we're adding some additional layers of processing that help the model to perform in the way that we want. The other thing that we do is what is called reinforced learning with human feedback. So many of you, if you've been digging around and sniffing at the various different resources out there to explain how LLMs work, will have seen the acronym RLHF, and that's what this is. What it means essentially is that we will prompt the LLM with a question with a, you know, with a request. And then we will have human beings judge the feedback that we get. So maybe we will get, let's say, three different answers from the LLM. Mm -hmm. Then we'll have a human being tell us, hey, I think number one is the best answer. Number one is really what I was looking for. And so by getting these human preferences, this sets of data around human preferences on the, on the responses, we build what's called a reward model. So again, you think about almost Pavlov's dog, right? Yeah. We are teaching, you know, again, I, I run the risk of maybe not anthropomorphizing, but whatever the word for turning it into a dog is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you know, providing rewards, reinforcement to say, yes, that's the way we want you to perform. So that's RLHF. It's human beings providing feedback on how, what kinds of answers are preferred. You know, the way that this is actually implemented, again, depends on the size of the organization. If you own the LLM, then you're going to actually often be able to create a derivative model of the LLM, a new model that is really fine-tuned for a particular purpose or a particular domain, right? Sometimes we'll train a, a fine-tune an LLM for chatbots, for conversation. And the other option is, again, if you don't own the model, we, there are APIs that we can use now. This is sort of rapidly expanding, but we do have the ability now to do some fine tuning if we're a smaller organization that doesn't sure. necessarily own the model, but we can get access to it. We can use APIs to deliver this kind of fine tuning. It sounds really interesting. And we've gone through it very quickly in terms of the A to Z on how yeah. to get the most out of your LLMs. But there's some really good concepts that I certainly think are very important conversations at the moment and that there's so much material out there that listeners could also do some reading up on too. We've talked about prompt engineering, owning the model, not having access to the model and how to get the right output. How do we ensure we don't get the wrong output, that the LLMs don't do the wrong things? That How do we stop hallucinations? How do we stop LLMs from being used for really terrible things? I think that a lot of people in this industry are really have the best of intentions, but there's always, you know, there's always an actor who's seeking to do not the right thing. So I mean, there's a couple of ways that we can think about it. You know, so first of all, we can think, how do people do this? So often people will find ways to sidestep the safety guardrails in LLMs. For example, they might use a language that is not as common on the internet. So English, the LLM is going to understand English. It's going to be harder to fool it in English. But maybe in Catalan, to use an example that's relevant to our company, you know, Catalan is not an uncommon language, but is certainly not heavily represented on the internet the way that English is. Or maybe even a more a rare language than that, say, you know, Quechua, for example. Using a low resource language 
in order to try to confuse the LLM, since it may have those neural connections that make sense, you might be able to trick it. Or there's different persuasive techniques, right? That you can convince it. You could convince the LLM that in order to do something very good or something very noble, I need you to teach me how to make a chemical weapon. These are the kinds of things that people try to do. So a way that we try to avoid that is by doing adversarial attack testing or red teaming. So basically, we will, you know, consciously try to find ways to trick the LLM. And by doing this, we can develop data sets that can be fed back into the model that improve its performance by teaching it how it failed previously. There was a good example of this not that long ago. The Biden administration in the U.S. had a hackathon in order to try to essentially trick the LLMs, trick generative AI tools into doing the wrong thing. And this is really an important emerging area, you know, management of LLMs that I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of in the near term. It's another discussion. You know, it's another podcast, Aaron, is safe AI and how we can avoid it, it going wrong and getting destructive output and, and everything like that. So this has been a really interesting discussion. We've covered a lot. There's certainly a lot of food for thought there, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'll certainly be getting back in contact with you for for more explanations and examples. And I know you're working on some really, really interesting projects at the moment. So I really appreciate the time you've taken out to talk to us today. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Happy to do it.